developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you, you define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with us is my mentor and coach, Sandra Beck. Sandra is truly an amazing person, as you'll quickly see her power, passion, success, creativity, and influencing abilities. Today, we're going to talk about recreating a vision for your life after loss. Here's a little bit about Sandra. And she's got a huge resume. I'll just give you a few of the highlights. What an impressive, adventurous life she leads. Empowerment is a line through all of Sandra Beck's work. Whether she's coaching a company owner to a million-dollar commission goal, training a stay-at-home mom to perform SEO on websites, or speaking to a group of women who are in recovery, her message is about what is possible and how to create the circumstances of your choosing. In a time when technology has ability to transcend physical limitations, Sandra teaches all of her clients how to maximize their lives by using the power of the internet, coupled with the drive of their passions to create the lifestyle of their dreams. Sandra is president of Beck Multimedia, the company that she owns. As an author, coach, speaker, radio host, entrepreneur, and philanthropist, Sandra is as successful as she is busy, day and night. The single mother of two, she's created a virtual empire of successful companies, entirely staffed, managed, and implemented using a host of virtual assistants and online resources, which is something I love, finding help when I can still be sitting here at home. Sandra's the host of five radio shows, including Military Mom Talk Radio, Motherhood Talk Radio, Dynamic Women, Coach Talk Radio, and Powered Up Talk Radio. She's an active contributor, participant, and works with many charities. And Sandra's real life is about making the world a better place for today and for our future of our kids. Born in New York, Buffalo, New York, she attended Northwestern University and earned her bachelor's and master's degree uh, in journalism and advertising. So Sandra, welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. That made me feel so good about myself. I might have to just listen to it over and over whenever I'm having a bad day because I sound so good on paper. It feels wonderful. Yeah. Sometimes we forget all our accomplishments as we get into the everyday, uh, you know, activity and busyness. But uh, I left a lot out as well. So I encourage you all to take a look at Sandra's website. We'll give you that information later and see all that she's done. But what's so interesting, and I've just loved our time together in our coaching. You know, we have such experiences that are different in the world, yet where we keep coming back to is our commonalities and vision. 
me from a physical optometric perspective and visualization and you from your creative internal visioning perspective. And so Sandra, share with us from your perspective, the importance of vision. Well, you know, Dr. Lynn, we share a lot more than you think we do because I was one of those kids in school until I got my vision corrected that was frustrated beyond belief. And I didn't know that I couldn't see. And this was in, you know, kindergarten, first, second grade. And I I was always a problem. I was talking. I was not paying attention. Oh, your daughter's so bright, but she can't focus. Well, the fact of the matter was I couldn't see. And they didn't identify that until I was almost in third grade. And finally, when I got my corrective lenses, and I know it's been, you know, 40 something years ago, I can remember that moment where I put those glasses on and I looked up and it was like a sea diver that had dove under the ocean and started to see fish and plants and landscape, all these things that weren't in my vision came to life and I would hear things and I had in my head what things sounded like versus what I could see, which was really nothing, it was blurry. And so when they would say, look at the clock, I could hear the clock tick, but I had this vision of like a block in a wood hitting the block in the wood. I had no idea the clock was this round black and white thing because I couldn't see it. And so that really started my, my idea of vision is so much more than sight. And every time my vision was corrected, even recently, I get in the car after another vision corrected. And now I'm like, oh, I can read these signs now. Oh, I can see this. Look at all these things I can see. And so the funny thing is, Lynn, when I do life visioning for someone, I close my eyes. And what are you looking at when you're closing your eyes since you've cut out the external stimulation of um, objects? Right. When I close my eyes and I'm listening to someone or I'm creating something, I start tuning into the feelings. Mm -hmm. I start to hear in somebody's voice if they're telling me you know about their dreams if i'm creating a website or i'm helping them on their book or their radio show i will literally shut my eyes and i will listen to the emotion i will listen to the cadence i will listen to the word choice all these things that have nothing to do with what i'm seeing and this vision appears of what this person wants and it's my job then to transmute that vision, that internal vision into a book, into a website, into a radio show, into, uh, you know, whatever it is they've, they've hired me to create. And whenever I need to create for myself, I need to shut my eyes. So you're really talking about internal visioning. Internal visioning. Which is a very multi-sensory system. It is not just seeing pictures in our head. People think of the third eye and and that you just see these radiant uh, signs. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. Some people have that gift. They do. But it's all the senses, hear, feel, touch, emotion, see, putting it together into a whole, use so many visual terms without actually seeing physically out in the real world. It's all looking at your inner inner landscape. Right. 
And then you've got to transmute that inner landscape into something external, you know, with a website. And then you're dealing with colors and images and all these things. But if you track back to the feeling that you want to create in whatever medium it's expressed in, you know, book, website, you know, radio show or sound file, you can then get to the spirit of the project, whatever that project may be. And it's almost like, like two different gears on a truck. You know, that's such a gift, Sandra, to be able to take in somebody else's information through all of your sensory systems and really create something that you then can make it real for them, really put it out there. And the real question then becomes is the, their internal imaging matching what they now see externally is their website reflect how they feel and having that gift to be able to be the, the transformer yeah, for people. Yeah, it's right, truly, right. truly beautiful. And that's why if somebody is ugly or angry or their, their intention isn't pure, you know, to create something that's for the greater good, then I, I'm blocked out. Like it's like a, like, I'll go back to a client and say, I got nothing. I can't work with you. Uh, for some reason, there's no, you know, whatever that I need. I don't have words for it. Um, but it's always interesting to me later on when we, I look at those clients and it's like, wow, he was convicted of fraud or, you know, she was, you know, admired in all these lawsuits. I saw this when I worked in the real estate business. If there was a pure heart, as I call it, I could create easily. In a not so pure heart, it was really laborious. And oftentimes I, I would just crash out of the job and say, I, I can't continue. It almost sounds like you have this moral justice system within your visioning, within yourself. Yeah, with a, with a, um, but I couldn't really articulate it. Lynn, I couldn't tell you, oh, well, this person I don't like. I, I can't do this for them because of this, this, and this. It's just a block. It's like, you know what? I'm not hearing anything. I'm not seeing anything. I'm not feeling anything. There's no creative juice. So, you know, somebody else has to take this job. And when I was really needing money, that was really difficult for me to turn away jobs as a single mom with two kids because I couldn't, I could have forced something. But I found when I force things like that, they don't work anyway. Yeah. Boy, that's really interesting. Are there other things that sometimes block your creative process? I mean um, yeah, if I'm tired, truly. <laughs> you know, if I'm tired, you know, the typical if I'm tired, if I'm hungry, if I'm angry. Um, and usually the biggest block to my creative process is my own emotions. Yes. And you know, I yeah, I, I found some really similar things. We work with a lot of kids and adults uh, working with their visualization. Um, often what holds people back is they can't see themselves as being successful or they can't see themselves as being a reader or, or an athlete or getting that job. And when you really start working on visualization, they see in their mind or feel or have the emotion of failure or falling off the beam, or not getting the job. And so we do a lot of work on helping people re recreate their pictures. And I must say, there's hardly anybody that I have ever worked with over 40 years that hasn't been able to have some level of visualization. And again, it's real important. Some people get the vivid neon light signs, 
and color. And some people have it through other systems, a sensory, a feeling, a, yeah. a thought, a whatever. But the times that I found that I really never, no matter what tricks I could try, elicit visualization was either one, there was a significant emotional, often something dealing with abuse or just something very weighty. And these were kids, you could watch them and know they're visualizing, but they were trying to consciously turn off their imagery because they did not want to see mm -hmm. what was there. But, you know, we don't really have the ability to ignore dreams come up, I, you know, thoughts yeah. come up. And the other is when uh, I, I would have a, a patient who really had something like diabetes or some real health and metabolism problems, and they just couldn't create anything at all. Otherwise, I really put it out there that there's always a way to find visualization at whatever level you're at. Oh, I think so completely because, you know, at most of the work that I've done, at, at the root of most of the work is what I've done, is blockages are blocked by two things. They're either fear or pain. You know, and the fear, fear is, is you know, a big deal. It could be, you know, fear of failure. It could be, you know, fear of embarrassing yourself or fear of facing, you know, maybe what you've avoided for a long time. And, you know, big fears, fear is a big block. And then the other one is pain. And, you know, you touched on that, you know, with, with you know, trauma, childhood trauma. But people could be traumatized, you know, in an office environment where they, they had an idea that they really held dear to their heart and they were ridiculed or mocked and you know that pain creates another block and i think when we create visually or we create a vision for anything whether it's our life a project or whatever we have to get the person in a place of comfort and a place of safety and security and if we can remove the pain you know if we can remove the blockage that comes from pain or fear we're like 90% of the way. Do you have any particular strategies you could share with our listeners about how to help remove those blocks? And I do, I mm -hmm. do. Um, I actually, when I'm working with clients, I ask them to carry a little notebook around with them, a very small one, nothing big, nothing obtrusive. And anytime they think about creating their project or creating what they're going to create, I ask them to stop for a minute and check in with the feelings. And they just take their pen and they write, I feel. And we get, I feel afraid, I feel nervous, I feel unprepared, I feel uh, like I'm not as smart as everyone, and we can really identify these limiting beliefs, these limiting thoughts, and then having a conversation, a safe one, that says, well, why do you feel this way? And I hear answers such as, well, my parents, you know, didn't think creativity was important, or I'm afraid to try because my brother is successful at everything and I'm a failure. You know, you, you start to get windows into people's thoughts because our thoughts are liars many times. They tell us stories that aren't true. They might have a grain of truth to it from second grade or fifth grade, but they're not true today. And we're holding on to these truths as if they are serving us in modern day. And sometimes, Lynn, the thoughts we have were really good. They protected us when we were in fifth grade or in 10th grade. But now we're 35 and we're running a company 
and those thoughts aren't protecting us anymore. So examining even just your thought life can give you a lot of insight into what is holding you back in your beliefs. My brother is a NASA rocket scientist and he's now working for Bezos in his space program. Well, this was a kid that was told he was retarded by the state of New York, couldn't read. So therefore he must be dumb, right? Can't read, so you're dumb, couldn't see couldn't read, had dyslexia, had short-term memory problems, had all these things that they diagnosed him for, but what they didn't recognize was that he is a flippin' genius. Now, at 40, he travels all over the world, and does he have someone to do his writing for him? Yes. Does he do his reading by audio? Does somebody read to him, or do we buy things in reading? Absolutely. Just like switching the input from a mouse to a keyboard. But the whole point is that those limiting beliefs that he had held him back for a full decade. But luckily, he learned not to believe his own thoughts and, and right. thoughts people put in their head. And it's so interesting because people talk about trying to control their life and control situation. And we have so little control of anything but our thoughts and our pictures in our mind. Right. And that's that's the empowering part of, of what we can help you helping your clients, me helping my patients. Um a lot of people work on that, but so even adults still are so believing in their thoughts that limit them. Um, Absolutely. It crushes and, you know, the soul. It does crush the soul. And, you know, think of the last for our listeners today. Think of the last thing you bought that was maybe a little expensive. Let's use a purse for an example. Okay. You buy the purse and you're so excited. You get it in the car. You're driving home. And what's the first thing you look at? Should I have spent this much money? Right. Then you get home and you you show the purse maybe to your roommate or to your daughter or your spouse and they have their own opinions on it. And then you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have bought it, but I really liked it. Then maybe two o'clock that afternoon, two or three hours later, you look at that purse and say, you know what? I don't like it that much and I probably spent too much money. I'm going to take it back. Then five o'clock rolls around and your girlfriend's call and they say, hey, it's so-and-so's birthday. We're going to go out and celebrate. Why don't you come with us? All of a sudden, you're like, oh, wow, I can bring my new purse and I can wear my new purse. And you stuff everything in there and you take that purse out and you go out and have a good time with your friends and you enjoy that bag. Now, that bag has not changed. It's still the same bag. But you have changed, and women especially, I know because I'm a woman and I've tracked my thought processes, I can go through 15 or 16 different thoughts about those, that purse in one day, and they're completely diametrically opposed from loving it to hating it, from it was a good value to I spent too much money, which just shows you how fickle our thoughts are over just a silly little handbag. Now imagine if there's huge emotion attached to something. Right. And the funny part is we could choose any thought and create any story. Um, and when you can stand back and just identify, I could think that's a terrible idea. I can think it's too expensive. I could think I love it. It's just your choice. Right. And, and it's it, just in that moment. And we are not moment. our thoughts. We are not our emotions. And I knew that you agreed with me because when I said, oh, we're going to go out tonight and you grab that purse and start throwing things in it, you lit up, you laughed right out loud because you know there's truth to it. Yes. What a great example. 
Uh, and, and regarding your brother, the engineer, um, many of the patients, I get uh, many referrals from psychologists of kiddos who are gifted and their visual, spatial, and creativity is off the scale. Many of them can't read or diagnose. In fact, there's stories that the NASA uh, team has the highest dyslexia percentage. Uh, and I talk to them, and many of these kids, what they look like when they're little kids, or they love Legos and they create all these designs, just don't make them read the instructions. That's right. And again, if they're not in a life situation, parents or teachers that see their strengths and help them identify it, why they find help to remediate it. Uh, we have lost many of these kids to um, bad, bad self-esteem, mm-hmm. bad um, choices, bad choices, et cetera. And so that's, uh, it just so identifies many of my patients and it's just beautiful that your brother's doing so well and, and has found the support he needs. I Absolutely. tell many of my parents, I'll even say, this kiddo should be uh, in math class three years above, and then he needs to hire a tutor to read him the instructions. That's right. You know? That's right. And it's not just dyslexia and, and um, you know, learning disabilities like that. Like, honestly, one of the biggest things when I look back, like when my mom died, I went through all her stuff and I found out all my report cards and I also found all my old evaluations. <gasps> and, you know, would I ever think I have a master's degree and what I saw from those evaluations, Lynn, was what makes me really good at what I do for a living and who I am today is the very things I was criticized on. They're like, she thinks she can do three things at once. She jumps from project to project. She jumps from sentence to sentence. She jumps from word to word to word. Well, guess what? That makes me a really top-notch person to find errors in programming to find errors in websites because I'm not tunnel vision. I don't go A, B, C. I might go A, D, C, F, over to G, down to M and back again. And then maybe I'll do it again because I think I missed something. So the scatterbrained label that I received as a kid, unable to focus, is really one of my greatest gifts. And when I did a show one time where a lady's like, well, I can help you focus. I can help you, you know, on these things. No, do not wreck my brain. My brain is made the way it is. I figured out a way to work with it. And I don't want to be neurotypical and I don't want to be mainstream and I want to be successful. And I want little kids today to know that if their brain doesn't work the same way or their eyes don't work the same way, maybe that's a good thing. And that's the whole goal is finding that strength and where you can work with it and and thrive. And, you know, that brings me to when I first met you and I looked at your uh, radio shows, I was so intrigued on the topics. You seem to have a big presence with military, mm-hmm. especially women and moms. So tell us a little bit how you got involved in that area of all of your creativity, books and speaking and everything else. Well, you know, I was raised in a military family. My dad was in the Navy and we were told to straighten up and fly right and make our beds. So I have a big um, warmth towards the military family. But moreover, I found that there was not a good delivery system of information to the military family. This is no disrespect to our military or our government agencies, but there wasn't an easy route for people to find information. And women, primarily moms or aunts or grandmas, 
are the gatekeepers for the information in the family. So they read things, they bring things in, they hear things. And our military family isn't necessarily known for their great scholarly work in the written word, but boy, they sure can listen. And I had some friends down in Camp Pendleton who were having trouble after the first Gulf War with their family members and they were given these things to read. Well, you don't give things to a person to read who don't read. We have to have different ways to deliver that information. And this is where why I love YouTube, why I love podcasts, why I love blogs, because you can read, you can listen, you can watch. And the whole point is to deliver information. So beyond my work of 35 years with Toys for Tots and helping the military family and training in the military environment, my desire was to give information to the military family in the way that they could accept it. And if anybody knows a military family, you know you don't stay put. So why would I give you a book? A book is heavy. It's going to go to your overall weight allowance when you move to another base. How about we do it digitally? And that's where the idea of Military Mom Talk Radio came about. It was my first major show. I was already doing motherhood talk radio. And I realized people need information delivered to them like my brother did in audio form. Oh. So a simple cause and effect. If you yeah. can't read what they gave you, let me read it for you. And that became the podcast that I produced today. And then you have two others besides that, or three. Yeah, I have a bunch of them. And then I produce some other ones. We produce some childhood cancer talk radio, which is a forum for researchers, doctors, people from all over the world to come together to talk about DIPG, which is the most deadly of childhood cancers. And we advocate a lot for childhood cancer research because, you know, as a doctor, you don't have, you know, a two-year-old with a brain tumor that has smoked pot, done drugs, whole life and you know eats fatty hamburgers they're two years old they're a good test to try to figure out the source of some of these cancers so childhood cancer talk radio is another one that i'm involved with i don't host it but i do produce it and it provides a necessary service and a coming together for our military families for our childhood cancer families we've got coaching Coach Talk Radio, we've got Dynamic Women, um, which is women coming together and talking about current topics. Basically, the view for smart people on the internet. Tremendous. And about how many people do you touch? I mean, what's your listener base with all of those folks? You know, uh, unique U.S. downloads can run between 100 and 150,000 per episode, um, somewhere in that arrangement. And then by the end of a calendar year, they can get up to a quarter of a million. We've had had some shows go over a million unique downloads, and that's because a podcast or anything that answers a question that people are asking will be found. You know, people talk all the time about, well, why does your thing do better than my thing? You could be the best radio host in the world. You could be the best author in the world. But if your book sits on the shelf in your apartment or your podcast sits in the basement of your, you know, computer setup down there, you don't have a chance. But there's also trends that you look for and and you are trending with your vision beyond sight because people are looking for alternatives in education, especially when kids are struggling in the typical education system. So answer those questions. What can you do? How can I help my kid? 
What can I do? My kid is diagnosed with cancer. What opportunities are they? Because my medical system says this is terminal. Too bad for you. Go home and enjoy your kid till he dies. That's not okay. So we answer these questions and we answer difficult questions like how do you handle PTSD in your kids? How do you handle post-traumatic stress? When, when your kids are watching everything on the internet and your their dad's overseas. Like these are real questions that deserve real answers, real discussion from the experts because not everybody can afford to go hire one-on-one -on -one independent consulting. Sorry, that's my big soapbox. No, but it touches, it so touches me, it gives me goosebumps because people are looking for, for resources and access. Right. And you've, you now have the opportunity of touching really millions of people's lives. And as that keeps exponentially exploding, getting larger, where does that lead you? Or do you have a new vision opening up or what's being created as, as you've already opened up so many things? Well, it's funny you say that because I'm working on, I call vision for people by their decade years. So if you're 20, you're your name 2.0. I'm just entering my 50s, so I'm in Sandra Beck 5.0. I'm the fifth version of this software. It takes a decade to build software, and that's, I use numerology, the one to nine. So that gives me my, my year that I'm in. So I'm in the iteration of Sandra Beck 5.0. And as my kids are going off to college, and my desire to help people with young kids is waning because I'm aging out of that. I don't know what it's like to raise a kid with an iPhone, an iPad, and a um, computer setup only starting five, six years old. I don't know what it is to have an infant that started on the iPhone at 18 months. So new moms have to come in and pick up where I left off and, and pick up on these topics. But what I'm focusing on right now is how do we let go of a life we've loved? I loved being a mom. I loved being a radio host. I loved being all these things. But the fact is, I got to let go of some things if I'm going to make something new. Now, could I continue doing interviews, writing books, doing coaching? I could do what I'm doing till I take my last breath. But I have to believe there's something more out there for me. So when I vision, my life is so full as it is, I have to figure out how to let go of things that I love to make room for new. It's like the Marie Kondo of envisioning. <laughs> you know, do I really love this? Does this, you know, does this bring me joy, as she says? But I don't want to just have more kids. I don't want to just make more radio shows. I want to figure out what, what happens next for me. And I know there's other people that will go along that journey and use those envisioning tools and decide what do I let go? Because some things we let go, we can't have a choice to keep. And the whole process of letting go in itself is really, couldn't be very traumatic. Absolutely. Uh, just even thinking about it, even when you're convinced and you know, just the letting go is so hard. You know, Sandra, this reminds me of a story. I was speaking in front of a audience of about 700 people on expand your vision. Mm -hmm. And it was only a 15 minute lecture, which is probably Ooh. the hardest type of lecture. What are you gonna say in 15 minutes to make a difference in front of right. 700 people? And so 
uh, things were going pretty well and they had a big clock right below me. And I happened to glance down and notice, whoa, the clock's at zero. <gasps> and at that moment, what flashed for me was like this big canvas, like no longer were the people there. Mm-hmm. It was this humongous canvas, totally blank. And what was available for me was a paintbrush. Mm. And it was like, all you need to do is pick up the paintbrush and create. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it was almost like the scene where, you know, the old cartoons where, you know, Bugs Bunny would be talking and, you know, going back and forth uh, while the people in the cartoon were just frozen. And there Mm -hmm. was this whole conversation in the little, yeah, in your little heads. It was just like that. And it's like, wow, what am I going to do? How should I paint? Where should I start? And then it was at that moment that I saw the zero on the clock. And I thought, well, I better finish this talk. (laughs) And then I'll get back to my painting. And so I quickly finished and left the stage wondering how long was I in pause in front of 700 people. So I couldn't wait for the video to come back. I watched the video. I knew exactly at what point in my lecture that happened. There wasn't even a breath that I noticed. Wow. It was like time stopped, not only for me, but the rest of the world. And I'll just never, I mean, never forget it. Mm-hmm. Now, my question to myself is, when am I going to pick up the paintbrush? That's right. Because that's really all it takes. And, and I can have many excuses. Yeah, I'm not good at art. I can't paint, you know, but it's really, that's all it takes. But the resistance to getting there is usually letting go. So you can pick up the paintbrush. That's been my experience. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, when you talk about the difficulty in starting something, uh, Joel Fotinos, who was the head of Tarcher Perigee, when I interviewed him, he the big publishing house. He said, San, you can't fix what isn't written down. And I thought about that going, okay, well, that also means you can't edit what hasn't been recorded or shot. You can't adjust what hasn't been painted. Like, I think the hardest thing is getting started for all of these things and giving yourself the permission to start and not know where you're going. Living in the unknown is Brene Brown writes a whole book on that. Yeah. And for somebody who, like myself, who's always had plans and, you know, was a goal goal setter and many of those goals came true living in the unknown is a very uncomfortable place to be but it also then gives a freedom of truly picking up the paintbrush and creating whatever there is and you know through my work and and this is a question I want to ask you if you had a magic pair of glasses to see the world through the lens of clarity courage and confidence Mm -hmm. what would your world look like my world would look like a bunch of hearts running around all different color hearts and there'd be something written on there which is like their mission like what what would give them joy happiness satisfaction peace all of the things that we search for my magic x-ray glasses would look on their heart see what's written on there and then we would all know our roles and where we were supposed to go Because I think other people write on our hearts and they tell us who we should be and what we should do and how we should do it. And we go away from what is written on our hearts. And everybody has something written on their heart and it will spring to life when you talk to someone. 
you know, maybe you're talking to someone about painting or they're talking about a book they read or they wrote and something will flare up in you, just like a little candle. That's like just flicker, flicker, flicker. And all of a sudden it, it, you know, really does the wiggle dance, you know, and you feel alive for that moment in time. These are the things we need to listen to because we live in an era of distraction. We have YouTube, we have podcasts, we have, you know, direct TV and Netflix, and these are all wonderful things, but they distract us from who we are. Then you have everybody and their sister who puts on a coaching hat and thinks they can direct people and they tell everybody what they should do. And for a moment, you feel this relief going, woo, great, responsibilities off of me to figure out my life. I'm just gonna let the coach or my parent or my sibling figure it out. But then they create something that's unsettling and doesn't serve them. And the other thing that happens is you don't need an external can of rocket fuel to get to your goals. You know, Lynn, you were talking about how you had all these goals that you wanted in life and you achieved them, which I did too. We both got higher educated. We both have written, we both have produced, directed, spoken, blah, 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 blah. But there was always a deadline to provide that rocket fuel, even in your speech that you said you had 15 minutes, you needed to dial it down. So that gives you this artificial rocket fuel. When you do what is really, truly written on your heart, there is no need for deadline. There is no need for any external goal setting, pushing, whatever. You do it and you get into flow. And flow is that beautiful, timeless, spaceless, visionless anything of creation. And I've talked to people over the years who've written books, who've painted masterpieces, who've created amazing television series, and they all talk about flow. And flow is when you get in alignment with is what is written on your heart and you have no need for external anything because it's all coming from within. That's why I use the heart. I don't know if the heart's the right thing. It could be the lung, it could be the kidney, but the fact of the matter is the heart is a beautiful symbol that we recognize and, it rec and it's our internal energy source. And when we get to find what is written on our heart, those magic goggles would help me see what's written on my heart or what's written on your heart. And we can all better fulfill our destiny here for why we came. Sandra, I can hardly speak after all of that. Your, your words of wisdom and just, I just have this image of you as one big heart. I mean, living from your heart. And for the listeners, I encourage you to re-listen to what Sandra has just spoke about and listen to the imagery in her language. She uses visual words, the flame. She used uh, listening words, uh, motion words, your language, and you are just full of multi-sensory imagery. Yeah. And that means you get to touch everybody with your Thank words. You. And man, that was that was just beautiful. That was flow because I'm going to have to go back and listen to what came out of my mouth because it's so busy coming out. I'm not even thinking about what I'm saying. So I will go back and listen to it because I think that message came through flow and it's probably for me, for you and anybody else who, who would like to listen. Yeah. And that's so true. And, and our listeners don't get to watch you. We're on zoom and I can watch you. That was flow. You were just, it was just coming out of you. I mean, it, it was so clear. 
And so with that, I'm sorry to say we're close to the end of the time, but boy, thank you for moving us for your wonderful words of wisdom and inspiration. Is there anything else you'd like to share uh, before you wrap it up? Yeah, just really simple, simple phrase. Whenever you feel like quitting, remember that the person who succeeded in whatever you're trying to do didn't quit. Like real simple, just keep going, keep trying. If something doesn't work, try another way. There's a rock in your way, go over it, go under it, go around it, blow it up if you have to, or maybe sit down and rest by it for a minute and try again tomorrow. Oh, that's funny. That's exactly how I got through all my national boards. How am I going to do this? Well, look at them. They didn't seem so smart. How'd they figure it out? And just, right. you know, just try to find a way through it. That's great. Right. Well, Sandra, if you'll share, you know, how can people get uh, a hold of you, your website, um, any social media connections? Share that with our audience. Yeah, I have my, I have a website. It's called Beck Fun. I used to have Beck Multimedia and all these other you know, crazy sounding, I'm important names. And then I realized, you know what, life is fun. And what I do is fun. And I'm not going to put a label on it. So you can go to beckfun.com and learn more about what I do. And my social media is all under my name, Sandra Beck, I'm pretty identifiable. And uh, just keep trying whatever it is you want. There's no dream too small, too tiny, too stupid, too dumb, too ridiculous. Just make your dreams come true, because you're the only one who can. Great. Well, thanks to you, Sandra, my gratitude for our, our time together. Thanks for everybody listening to us today. And remember, your vision doesn't define you. You define your vision and expand your vision. See with clarity, gain courage and confidence. And with that, I say goodbye for now. And thanks to all of you. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.